It's a question we have all asked ourselves at one time or another. What is my purpose in life? And while we all have many gifts and desires that are unique to us as individuals, we were all created for this one purpose, to glorify God our Father. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So in a world focused only on self, we want to shift the paradigm to be purposeful women of God. So join us as we change our focus from me to thee. Hello and welcome to the Purposeful Woman of God podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Tabitha. And we are so happy you're joining us today. We have a very special episode, but before we get into that, did you do anything fun this weekend, Tabitha? Girl, you know, with our family, we were at the ball field all weekend, but it was fun. All the boys played. Landon, his team won their tournament again this weekend. Oh, yay. So They're on fun. fire. Yeah, they are. They're doing really well right now. That's awesome. How about you guys? What did y'all do? Um... I guess it was an eventful weekend. Um, Friday night, Pace had his first race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I didn't get to go because I had scheduled a vet appointment for my dog. But um, Heron <laughs> took him down there, and they he never he's never been on that track before, so he's never had a chance to practice. But he got to qualify. During qualifying, his chain broke, so he had to start in the back of the race. So I think he just kind of rode around a little, but yeah. he seemed to enjoy himself. Good, but Aaron also had a good race this weekend, didn't he? He did. So there was a really big race at uh, Winder this weekend, and um, there was some big money to the pole winner of the race. And so I was on top of the trailer while he went out, and I was taking all the times down. And when I found out that he was the fastest qualifier, it was uh, I was jumping up and down on the trailer. It's kind of like exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was very exciting. So he won. He won the money for getting the pole, and then he actually won the whole race. So it was. It was he exciting. Doesn't, he doesn't race much anymore, does he, like no. he used to? No, I mean, it used to be every weekend. Now it's like maybe once a month, if that. So yeah. it was it was exciting. It's probably one of the biggest races that he's ever won, especially locally. So yeah. he was really excited. Good. So that was fun. We got a, a good, got a big check and everything. It was a memorial race, and he hadn't got one of those big checks in a while. So yeah, that's that fun. was fun. Yep. So well, other than that, that was... <clears throat> Pretty much it. That was the highlight of the weekend, I guess you could say. Yeah, good. Well, as Ashley said, we have a lot to cover today, and we just want to be transparent with all of you. This family series is ever-evolving as we go along. (laughs) Uh, Last week, we looked at the role of the wife in the home, and while we were studying and researching the family, we were really struck with the amount of marriages that are struggling right now or may experience a time that is difficult And there's so much that we wanted to discuss in that area. So we felt we needed to just give this topic its own episode. So Ashley, in your research, you discovered so much that is important to this topic. So let's begin discussing the statistics of marriage right now. Yeah, um, I had researched some divorce statistics a little prior to this episode. And when Tabitha and I were talking after we finished our episode on being a godly wife, we decided, hey, we just, we need a little bit more on marriage in general. So we, the the statistics were a little shocking when I looked up and saw that almost 50% of marriages will end in divorce. Um, that was a little like, whoa, 50%, wow. Yeah. Um, 40% of first marriages will end in divorce, 60% of second marriages, and 73% of third marriages will end in divorce. So, you know, if you're struggling in your marriage and this is something that y'all are talking about, the statistics for those second and third marriages are not very good. Yeah. 
um, that actually equates to every 42 seconds in the United States, there is one divorce. This means 86 divorces in an hour, 2,046 divorces in a day, 14,364 divorces in a week, and 746,000 divorces in a year. That is crazy. It is. And when I was doing some research, I was looking up the ages, the kind of the average age going through their first divorce. And that age is 30 years old. That's the average age going through a first divorce. But 65% of divorces are between the ages of 25 and 39. And, um, you know, our listeners that are here, when we kind of look at some of our analytics, the highest group of our listeners are between the ages of 35 to 44. Yeah. And then our second, you know, highest age group is between 25 to 34. Yeah. So, so these statistics really relate to the people that are listening to this podcast. Yeah, that's exactly right. They kind of are the ones that are most likely to, you know, be going through a divorce. Yeah. So another surprising statistic, um, which knowing about some things that I know about in some situations, I was kind of like, well, it makes sense. But 75% of the time, wives are most often the ones that will file for divorce. And I was kind of looking up the types of groups that are getting divorced and it's lower income. And the one that I was like, yep, that makes sense. It's they are aligned with a non-Christian faith. Yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and then as I was kind of looking on that religious belief kind of statistic, I read that if a person has strong religious beliefs, the risk of divorce is 14% less than having no religious affiliation. I don't know. I was just kind of thinking about that. And I'm like, that really makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's higher in those that do not live in a faith-based relationship. That's right, in a faith-based home. Um, and then I was kind of researching the whys. You know, what are the biggest whys that people are getting divorced? And the first one was a lack of commitment, um, arguing too much, infidelity, marrying too young, and unrealistic expectations. Well, and while all of this is a lot to take in, the great news is that God has given us some great tools to help us in restoring relationships and healing marriages. We always say if you're struggling with any of these issues in your marriage, seek counseling. One thing that couples can do is seek counseling together. And I know, Tabitha, that you and Derek have had some experience in counseling couples So what are some of the things y'all discuss with couples in crisis? Well, when we were being coached and trained in counseling with couples, we were given this illustration. Think about your car. We take such good care of our cars. We understand how valuable they are, so we maintain them. We send them in for regular maintenance. We get oil changes. The tires rotated. We put gas in it each week, and some of us are probably better than this than others, but we wash it, we vacuum it out, we do all of these things, and then when a warning light comes on, Ashley, what's the first thing that we do? We're calling a mechanic or trying to figure out what's wrong with it. Right. We don't wait for more lights to come on or give it time to break down on this side of the road. We get help immediately, and that makes us think, why are, with our marriages, are we not handling them with such care as we do our vehicles? That's true. Most of the time, people don't even call us as counselors until the problem is just 
way far out of hand. So at the onset of problems, they don't call us, but they call us when they are in full-blown crisis mode. Someone has packed their bags, they filed for divorce, and then we get a phone call that like, I don't know what's happening, she's left, or he's left, or whatever, and, but what would have happened if, when those warning lights started coming on, because most of the time, and I've never seen a situation that divorce just crazy just happened overnight. Yeah. There were warning signs that ahead of time. That. Yeah, yeah, that if they had sought help when they started seeing those warning things happen, counseling doesn't always have to mean you're on the verge of divorce, but it's giving your marriage the maintenance that it needs to bring it back to life before it's too late. And if more people would care for their marriages like they do their cars, the divorce rate wouldn't be so high. And I think that's important to note because so many people, I think, see counseling as a side of, oh, I'm not going to counseling. That means that I'm failing or our marriage is failing. And that's just not the case. But if they would just wake up and realize, okay, we do have some issues here Mm -hmm. and maybe we could use the help of a a non-biased party. Yes. And it it shouldn't always be a last resort, right? No, yeah. But but that's how we treat it most of the time. But it It shouldn't be that way. So let's talk about some practical things you would discuss with couples, whether they're in crisis or call you for maintenance on their marriage. Well, when we were trained with a particular marriage counseling program, um, we had specific things that we talked about. But over the years, Derek and I have kind of adapted what we learned to create what we feel are the three pillars of marriage. We discuss faith, family, and finances. Faith is our relationship to God. Family is our relationship with each other. And finances is our relationship with our resources. So let's talk about our faith and how it influences our marriage. So last week, we talked about the verse of scripture from 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but if you're married to a lost person, you are already in a covenant with that spouse. However, we discuss with both parties the importance of their relationship continuing to grow in the Lord. And you remember the illustration that we used last week of the triangle, that the more you both are seeking Christ, the closer that you are coming together. So the faith is very important. But also remember that if your spouse is lost, that as we talked about last week, he can be one to the Lord by your chaste conversation, staying dedicated and honoring the Lord in your marriage. But the ideal situation would be that both uh, parties in the marriage are seeking God and the wisdom of God through his word and, and growing together in that way. Yeah, and praying about you know, the specific issues that you're having in your relationship and surrounding yourself with others who will encourage you in your marriage and not people that push you to want to leave. Um, You have to remember to remain faithful in reading God's word because he will use it to speak to you. And I just have an example of this. You know, I think sometimes we are around really negative people Mm -hmm. and they're quick to be like, oh, well, I can't believe they did this or that. And you deserve better than that. And I will just say, My mom has been my biggest source for guidance and information. And I try not to tell her everything going on in my marriage, you know. Yeah, but sometimes Um, you need godly advice. But there's some time that I need godly advice and godly wisdom. And my mom's not one to just say, oh, well, you shouldn't be. He shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be. You know, you shouldn't be treated like that. Um, I remember most of y'all have heard that Aaron and I are 
searching for a new church now. And so it's it's stressful. It's stressful trying to figure out where home is for us and where yeah. we're going to go to church. And so there was one particular Sunday night that we went to church that Sunday morning. Reese was awful. I ended up trying to go out to the car with him. I didn't have the key for the car, so I had to stay outside with him the whole service. Yeah. Well, then we ended up back in the service. He wouldn't go to their nursery. I mean, it was just one of those. Yeah. You have young kids, you know. Yeah. It was a chaotic Sunday. Yes. <laughs> and it was the first time we had ever been to the church, and it was I was just I was kind of embarrassed, you know, yeah. and didn't get to sit in any of the service. So we had left, and Aaron, last minute, had wanted to go back that Sunday night. And, of course, I was like, no. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm not. Like, I, I couldn't even sit in the service. Yeah. I just can't even do that again. And I remember him leaving to go, and he was like, I really need your support during this time. Yeah. And he left. And that, I got kind of on the defense, you right. know, at first, yeah. because I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. I'm going to go, and then I'm just going to be sitting in the car with this child. Yeah. So I, my mom had kind of asked if we were coming to dinner, and I was like, well, Aaron went to church. Long story short, she had sent me a message, and she said, Ashley, she said, you need to understand that this is a difficult time for your husband yeah. as well. And she said, you may be in the car with Reese. You may mm-hmm. not get to sit there in the service. But if you just being there yeah, is supporting, supporting him, him yeah. and that's how he feels supported, just knowing that you're there with him, yeah. then you need to go. Right. And so instead of my mom being like, well, I just he just needs to understand yeah. that, you know, you have a toddler and you're not going to always be able to be there for everything. You know, right. she gave me godly advice. And those are the type of people that you need in your life. Well, and it's always kind of having someone in your life that's upstream from you. That's right. Maybe who uh, has been married for a really long time. Yep. Don't seek uh, marriage counseling from someone who is not... Um, that their marriage is struggling. That's right. You know, yeah. those are going to be your friends that are going to back you all the way. Like, oh my goodness, he shouldn't talk to you mm-hmm. that way. You just need to leave. They're no. going to feed into yeah. your negativity. Yes. And then y'all are going to feed into each other's negativity. And right. it's going to push you away from your spouse. Right. It's finding godly women in your life that can encourage you and to help you see a different perspective. Because and that's why we're doing we, this too, yeah, Tabitha. Exactly. Like this is one of the reasons too, when we're doing this is to build a community of right. godly women that that we can all maybe get in touch with and learn from. And that's why we're here because there are godly women out there that right. you can, you know, seek help from. And that is why our faith is so important It is in important. our personal lives, but even in our marriage. And this is where God, the more you dig into his word, the more you seek godly advice is where he's going to reveal to you if there's something in your heart and mind that you need to repent from and turn away, because it does take two parties working in a relationship. And most of the time, it's not just one person doing something wrong. It's the animosity that is built between both parties. That's right. And So anyway, we talk about faith and how important that is, but then we also talk about family, and that's our relationship with each other. We recognize that we all come into marriage with our own belief of what marriage is or what we think it should be, and this is based off of the home that you grew up in. So maybe you saw a lot of what not to do, um, so you're trying to avoid that, or maybe your parents had a great relationship, so you want exactly that but your spouse has his own idea of what marriage is and how you should relate to one another. So this all relates with how you communicate with one another. 
I'll take you guys into mine and Derek's first fight, which I can't even remember what we were fighting about, but it ended with me running to the bedroom and slamming the door as loud as I could just yeah. because I had to let him know how angry I was. Um, but he came in immediately and he was like, I know you're mad, <laughs> but this is not how we are going to handle arguments in our home. And I'll be... I'll be honest, that was the last door that I slammed. We decided early on, while we know we are not always going to agree with one another, we are going to have disagreements, we do have to agree to be respectful. And if slamming doors was offensive to my husband, then I have to have enough respect for him that I'm not going to do that. So setting boundaries in your communication early on, especially when you're in a disagreement, is very important. Very important, you know, yes. Just some simple things, no name calling. Uh, take a time out if it's getting too heated. You know, maybe one of you needs to walk outside or just cool off a little bit before you say something that you can't take back. And of course, never ever throw punches, no hitting, no slamming doors, no hitting walls or anything like that. Maybe those are some boundaries that you guys need to set ahead of time that if it starts getting to that point, then maybe it's time to um, take a time out. And then of course, it's always a good idea to heed the advice from the Bible. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry so anger is an emotion that God has given us. It's okay to yeah. get angry every it's now and then. It's not sinful to be to angry. Be angry. Yeah. But he goes on to say, be angry and sin not. That's right. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Ashley, have you ever been there that you were so mad, you know, and you just <laughs> let that fester in your mind, like, why did yes. he do that? Why did he say that? Why would he talk to me like that? And then while you're lying there trying to go to sleep, your mind is racing with all the reasons why you're mad. You're probably thinking about things in the past of why did he do that? Trying to come up with one line or comebacks, you know, <laughs> like tomorrow, this is what I'm going to say. But God knew that the devil is taking root in your mind. So he gives us the instruction to settle those disputes before you go to bed that doesn't mean that everything is perfect, perfect. When you <laughs> yeah like we're all yeah. happy and everything but yeah we get to a point that we can move on so that we can sleep well that night right. and we don't allow the devil to continue to work in our mind um, and then we just build upon that anger for the next day yeah and I think too it can once you start festering on whatever immediately happened that you're like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Well, then you start thinking about other things. Yeah. And, you know, you just get, like, madder and madder, yeah. don't you? You just kind of go back to, well, and then you oh, well, what what he did last week yeah. and then the week before. Something that was, like, last not year, even a big you know? issue then. Yeah. You know, you're, you're allowing that to then become a bit, taking this molehill and turn it, in, into, turning a it into a mountain. Yeah. yeah. And I'm reminded of Matthew 5.25, just kind of talking about this. And I know in this moment, this isn't necessarily speaking to a marriage right. in general, but it says, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. So I just think about this. It's basically saying when you have an issue with someone, in this context, we're using your spouse, Resolve it quickly yes. because if you don't address it quickly, something so small, then you're going to end up taking them to court. And that's even in a marriage. Yeah, you know, take to them to court. You know, you get 
Next thing you know, you're so mad that you you're, can't, you're bitter and you're filing for divorce. Right. Um, and it, it can turn that way very quicker quickly. than you think. Yeah. So, you know, the Bible gives us instruction to handle these manners quickly, respond quickly. And also we have to know to be realistic in our expectations with our spouse. Right. Right. We all know that men are different yes, than women. They are. <laughs> and there's a reason. I mean, God created us differently. differently. Our brains are different. Yeah. Everything's different. And so um, in a book that I have read, it's called The Marriage Ring, and it's by Amy Edwards and her husband. We have a recommendations page out on our website now, and this book is out there. It's an amazing resource for marriage. I mean, it talks mm -hmm. about everything. But within one of the chapters, it talks about specifically how the brains of men and women are different. And so I just wanted to read this little passage from the book. It says, interestingly, early in the womb, the male and female brains are exactly the same until hormones enter the picture. The testosterone wash that happens in the male fetus shrinks the corpus callosum, which connects the right and left side of the brain. The effect of all this testosterone means the male brain will not use both sides of the brain at once. It can only use one side at a time. The female brain, however, as you can imagine, uses both sides simultaneously quite often. She is equipped with much more white brain matter than a man. This matter is full of connectors, allowing her to multitask and think about many things at one time. A woman's brain utilizes the language center of the brain much more than a male does. The man approaches life one thing at a time, making much less connections. The male brain is actually 10% larger with more gray matter than the female brain, which means the gray matter processes one thing at once, whereas the white matter processes many things at once. To get a mental picture of what this looks like, it has been said the male brain is like a waffle. There are compartments. He focuses on one compartment at a time. The female brain is like spaghetti. So, I mean, can't you see that in your yes. own life, in your own relationship with your husband? That's why when my husband's watching TV he and I'm trying to you. tell him about something that we're supposed to be doing this weekend, the next day he'll say, oh, we don't have any plans for Saturday, do we? And I'm like, I just told you last night that we had something going on. Yeah. You weren't listening to me, yeah. right? But that's why he he only has one compartment in that waffle lit up yeah. at a time. Well, and Derek <laughs> and I in marriage counseling talk about that often and relate it to like an iPad that oh, all yes. of my apps are open and running all at once, and there's music coming from somewhere, you know. That's right. <laughs> and with him, he opens one up and closes it out immediately. So um, we do have to remember that that we are created differently, not just in anatomy, but in our brains. Um, and the way we think and the way we process everything. We are literally wired differently. Yes, <laughs> yes. So another area in marriage that we know that comes up quite often that, you know, you might need counseling on the topic or that's just a struggle in general is the topic of intimacy and the mm -hmm. lack of intimacy within your marriage. Yeah, and 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, Defraud you not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And that just means self-control. So, yeah, we in our marriage counseling, that is one of the big issues that we have seen is a lack of intimacy or the husband and wife are not in agreement. Um, but we're not supposed to withhold that from each other. And it even tells us because 
God knows that our self-control in that area, especially the men, um, is, is difficult. And so you come together as husband and wife, you agree on a time that you're going to spend fasting and praying, but outside of that, you give yourself to one another. Um, but I also want to add in one area, we, we counseled with a couple that was really struggling in this, but she was having some female issues at that time. And so she had to see a doctor and get help during that time. So just know that there could always be, um, something physical that's going on with your body and listen to your body and consult a doctor if that's something that you're really struggling with. Yeah. And I'll have to say, you know, I have a specific example of that. You know, I was going through a lot you know, I think it was back last year and had some issues and, you know, it was a major problem that was going on. And my husband just had to realize that something, yeah. was, I kept telling him something's going on. You know, it's not that I'm not wanting to have an intimate relationship. It's just that something's going on you with me. physically. Yeah. yeah and sometimes the men don't understand, you know, right. but there was physically something going on with me. And when we found out what it was, it was pretty major, you know, and he was like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You yeah. know? Um, so it's being understanding of one another, but also as women recognizing how important it is to men and not holding it against them or withholding it just because we want to, or, Uh, we're angry or anything like that. Yeah. And so I'm reminded there was another passage in this marriage ring book that since we're kind of talking about this, I just kind of wanted to read because they put it so well, but they mentioned prolonged periods of absolutely no sex in a marriage is not normal or healthy. If there is not a health reason for abstaining from sex, then sex on a regular basis should be happening in a marriage. Unfortunately, when a husband or a wife seem to have absolutely no desire for sex night after night, is it is an indication that a problem exists. There may be a deep and underlying negative view towards sex, or the spouse may be indulging in some type of sexual sin. So you just want to make sure that this is not something you're supposed to abstain from. And right. if either party is, you know, you need to come together and get to the root of the problem and the why. Right. Which really brings us to a really good resource that we have recommended many times in marriage counseling. And it's an oldie, but a goodie from Gary Chapman, the five love languages and understanding how to relate to one another and show love to one another. So Ashley, let's talk about those five love languages briefly, what they are and um, what they mean for us. Yes, if you've never read the book or, and I actually haven't read the full book, but I want to, but I have done some research on the actual love languages and the book I keep referring to also has a chapter on the love languages, but the five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. We all have a primary and a secondary love language. So my primary love language is acts of service. So for me, it means more to me if my husband notices that, hey, I've got all this stuff that I need to do and he offers to help me with something. Yeah. Um, If he sees that I'm a little stressed out and he offers to wash the kids while I run to the grocery store or, I mean, just something like that. Mm -hmm. If he takes care of the things around the house that he's supposed to take care of without me yeah. saying anything about it. Like those, that, that just speaks to you my love language. Yeah. yeah. It's not bringing me a gift. It's not, it's just knowing that he's taking care of things and he's in touch with reality of what I'm dealing with in a situation. And then my secondary is quality time. So I just know I knew right off, right off the bat what mine were, but you can actually go and take a love languages right. quiz 
and I had not done that yet. So when we were talking about doing this, I did it last night and it was spot on yeah. with what I already knew mine were. So, um, but with saying that, as I was kind of studying these out, I was thinking about what my husband's were and his are not what mine are. Right. So his, I would imagine, I actually have never really discussed this with him, but I'm pretty sure his primary would be physical touch. And then his second would probably be words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. And so when I started thinking about that, because I'm an acts of service person, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm a stay at home mom now. So a lot of times I think I am, you know, washing and putting up his clothes. I am constantly keeping the house clean. I'm taking care of the kids. And that's how you are showing him you love him. Yes. Because that's how you want to feel loved. That's right. But that's not what his love language is. Yeah. And so I think it's very important that we both understand our spouse's love language Mm -hmm. and we we learn how to speak it. You know, this may seem menial, but man, when I started reading this, there's so much truth to this. Right. Um, and I can't help but think, Tabitha and I both love Leanne Morgan. <laughs> and if you've never listened to her, go listen to her. But she does this little funny skit on the love languages. But it's so true. But she talks about how if you're not speaking your spouse's love language, next thing you know, they're going to be at work standing by the water cooler and some hussy's going to walk up <laughs> and start speaking his yeah. love language, making him feel all tingly inside, you know? Yeah. And so you just have to make sure that you are doing what you can to fill your spouse's love tank because they will start seeking to find it elsewhere. If you're not. Well, and Derek and I are opposite too. I am, um, gifts like that just means the world to me. And him, I've, I've shared this with him many times before. His love language is acts of service. So gifts are probably his last. Yeah. You know, it's on the dead last. So um, when we've talked about this before, trying to help him to understand that it's not always just going out and buying me this extravagant, extravagant. gift. Yeah. It's picking up because he knows my favorite drink is a Dr. Pepper. Like he's at the store. So he grabs me something. He grabs a Dr. Pepper because he knows that that's my favorite or picking up a coffee for me um, on his way home. Or if he sees something in a store that he's like, oh, I saw this and it made me think of you. Mm -hmm. Like that is huge to me. And then I'm the same way that like you were talking about. That's Mm -hmm. how I want to show him that I love him is by buying him something where he's like, I don't Why did you get me this? <laughs> right. So I just have to remember his is acts of service. So, you know, keeping the house clean, making sure that dinner is on the table, um, you know, making sure the kids are in their routine and all of that. That is, speaks volumes yes, to him. Yes, it speaks volumes to him. And I have to say, you know, your love language may not come easy to your spouse. Right. And, you know, his love language may not come easy to you. I mean, because I think about mine being acts of service and, yeah. you know, thinking about Aaron and maybe the way he grew up and the things that he saw, that may not be something that comes easy to him, you know, and he doesn't get, why does taking the trash to the street turn you on? (laughs) I mean, you know, like he doesn't get it. (laughs) He doesn't get it, but it's, it's just is, but his is physical touch. And I've never been a touchy feely person. I mean, you can ask my mom, I wasn't a touchy feely kid. You know, I'm probably the most touchy feely with my kids, Yeah, (laughs) but, um, I'm just not. And so it's a little harder for me to, so that gets put on the back burner in your mind when really that's what he is craving at that moment. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to, but the more you do it, the easier it's going to come to you. And the more you uh, are showing your spouse their love language, they're going to reciprocate that back to you in your love language. So I just say, if you have never checked these out, check them out and do a test run on your spouse. Take a couple weeks 
where you speak mm-hmm. their love language and see if it doesn't make a change in yeah. your relationship. Yeah. Well, so after we talk about love languages and how we relate to one another in our relationship, we finally discuss finances, and that's our relationship with our resources. And many studies would suggest that money is the number one cause of divorce, while we kind of dispute that a little bit because we think it's more of argument that comes from that, so it would be more of a lack of communication regarding finances would probably be more common than just the other. So once again, we all have an idea of how we want to handle our finances going into marriage because that's how we saw our parents handle it or that's how we've been handling it as we've been single. But we don't always communicate those ideas with each other and that causes friction along the way. And a lot of times it's not a big deal until kids are in the picture or until our finances become a struggle, but then it's sometimes too late to get back on track. You know, I can share in our own marriage with Derek and I that this has evolved over the years. You know, when we were both young professionals who quote unquote had our own money, um, we each had our own bills that we were responsible for, and then we could do whatever we wanted to with the rest of the money. But in my opinion, now this is not Bible, (laughs) this is Tabitha-isms, (laughs) that is a recipe for disaster. Um, Because once we came together with our finances, we saved more, we held each other more accountable. There was less resentment about purchases because we thoroughly discussed those large purchases then, and we prayed over those decisions and made those purchasing decisions together rather than me going out and doing my own thing and him doing his own thing. Um, But I think the big thing is, and I'm not saying that everybody has to handle it the way that we do because every marriage is different and how you've came together and how you work through that is different. But regardless of how you handle your finances, you need to be on the same page and in agreement with one another on how you handle your finances. So Aaron and I have I think we had a similar story with you mm-hmm. and Derek, how we kind of started out with our finances. We both had jobs. We both had our separate checking accounts. Yeah. I paid for my stuff. He paid for his stuff. I, there was part of the bills I paid for. You right. know, we kind of divided it fairly among what we made and stuff. Yeah. We just divided it fairly. And whatever we had extra, we spent on ourselves. And it worked out great until we had kids, you know. Yeah. But then when we had kids, you know, I mean, we would split it up so much that we would go to Walmart and I would buy my body wash and stuff, and he would buy his. Like we were, serious? I'm serious. We would go to the grocery <laughs> store. We would split it in half, you know, and if I bought dinner this time, he would buy dinner that time. Wow. And so, like, we were Y'all really so split 50-50, yeah. yes. And and that was okay until, until we had kids. And you know the majority of the purchases for your kids who purchased the majority of the, the things. The mom is going to be out doing all of that. Yes. Yeah. So then it became hard because it was, well, I'm buying everything for Pace. And I bought dinner this time. And there was a lot of arguing about that. Yeah. And once we realized that, what are we doing? Yeah. We are a team. This is our family. This is our household. Yeah. These are our kids. And we combined everything into one checking account. And we make sure all of our bills are paid. And then, you know, we discuss, well, we need this or that or... Yeah. You know, we get on, we got on the same page with everything and it became our money and it's our, it was just, it just connected us so much more. And there was no longer an argument over Mm -hmm. the finances. Like you said, we were able to save more. We were able just to keep a better eye on it. No longer was it his money and my money. Right. It was our money. That's good. Yeah. So we both have similar 
um, stories as far as how bringing it together was beneficial for our family. Yes. And so that's why I say that it is important at least for you to agree and both parties to agree on that, not just one person handling everything or whatever. And if you do decide, though, that, you know, you want to put everything together, put the one who is the most you know, likely to take better care of the money in charge of the money. Right. Because there's always probably one person that's a little, bit more, a little bit more of a spender. Yeah. You know, Aaron and I are not on budgets. We both have debit cards to the account. We both can access anything at any point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, but we talk about what we have in there and we talk about big purchases together. Like you said, you know, set a dollar amount. If you're going to spend yeah. over X amount, let's talk about it and make sure it's okay. Well, and now we do budget very strictly Mm -hmm. you know we we have followed the dave ramsey um uh program before snowballing you know to paying off your debt and then now at this moment and sometimes we get off track with this but we do like the cash envelope system like we both know like this is what we have to spend on this particular thing and it's tough sometimes but it holds us both accountable to make sure that we are but you're not overspending. Yes. You're not overindulging yeah, on things. Because it'll catch up to you before you realize it. Yeah. It will catch up to you. And then you're going to have that strain on your relationship because of financial issues. So I've, as we've discussed, you know, what you talked about, the three pillars that you and Derek have adapted for your marriage counseling, faith, mm-hmm. family, and finances. We've kind of talked about those and how they can cause some trouble in your relationship if you're not having a godly approach to them. We also just want to make a note here that you really need to exhaust all resources before choosing divorce. Really take a look at your situation as a whole. And is it something that you and your spouse can go to Christian counseling? You know, you can get the help of some godly friends. You can pray about it together. You don't realize how much Talk to your pastor. Yeah, talk to your pastor. You don't realize how much just praying about a specific situation in your marriage, even if it's something small, how God can help you with that. I know there's been several things, you know, as Aaron and I have both gotten closer to the Lord and we're kind of both connected in that way that I have to pray about some things that may Mm -hmm. not come easy for me or things that are troubling me. And, you know, God will almost take it away or Aaron will do something that, I just don't even think about it anymore. And it's just crazy how he can, he will help you with that if you ask him to help you. Um, One of the statistics we mentioned earlier was that 50% of marriages will end in divorce. But one statistic that many people don't think about is that 50% of people will also have some sort of regrets about going through a divorce. Either way, it's never easy. Marriage is not easy. Marriage takes work. If anybody tells you that, oh, marriage is easy and, you know, it's just going to be, you're going to get married and it's going to be an easy road. It's not. It takes work. It takes both spouses being willing to put in that time. And sometimes, you know, you may put in 90-10. Sometimes it may be 100-0. Sometimes it's 50-50. But you have to be able to balance that out and pick your battles and know when you have an issue. It's like we said in uh, Matthew 5, you know, know when you have an issue so that you can resolve it quickly. Quickly, yeah. And when you were saying this, it reminded me of a quote that I've seen before. Choose your hard. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Right. You've got to decide now, which one am I going to put the effort into? Am I going to put the effort into restoring my marriage 
or am I going to go the route of a divorce? But there's also going to be challenges that are often more difficult when you make that decision. Because, I mean, chances are you have children. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about, I'm not saying you stay in an, you stay in an abusive relationship because of your kids. That is never the you know, answer. And we talked about that in our yeah, last episode. Last week, yeah. um, but you have to remember your kids. And is this something that you can work on? And it does take its toll on the kids yeah. no matter what. I mean, it it's, it's uh, yeah, it's life-changing for those kids. You know, yeah. you decided to get married. You decided to have kids. And so um, you really need to think about them and what's best for them. And That's is this right. something you can work on, yeah. you know? And, and as we said before, in most cases, by the time a couple calls on a counselor, it's virtually unsalvageable. Yeah. Both parties have got to be willing to work at it and to try. But too many times, one or both are done. And just coming to counseling just to say, well, we went to counseling. We right. tried, you know. But their minds and their hearts really They're were all, open. Yeah, they were. They walked out the door long before they physically that's did. Right. Um, but that's why it's important to maintain that marriage before it's too late. As a final thought, just kind of what you said, let's talk about making some time for, you know, our spouse. What can we do? Date nights? Yeah. Um, spend some alone time together, but you have to prioritize that. Yeah. You have to make it a priority. If For you know, sure. you're looking at your schedule and you're like, oh, well, I just don't know when we're going to have time. Get your calendar out, sit yeah. down with your spouse and pencil in a date night on your calendar. Absolutely. We're going to have a date night. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about, get your calendar out, out, pencil in a date night, mm-hmm. pencil in a long weekend together yeah. and pencil in a vacation. You know, just yeah. do it. Sit down and make, you, just, you may not yeah. go through with all of them, but just sit down and make sure to try to schedule something out because that's, sometimes it takes that and it takes yeah. one party to stand, you know, to step up and say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, yeah. you know, so um, with discussing marriage and going through all of this as we do every episode towards the end, what is the purpose in all of this today? Well, we talked about last week how marriage is ordained by God, that it was not a man-made thing. And the coming of two couples, two people in a marriage is a covenant. It's beautiful, and it's a blessing and a gift from the Lord. And we want to encourage you to take it seriously with dedication and devotion. Matthew 19, 4, 8. It says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So we want to encourage you today, put in the work as we've talked about. Do everything you can to preserve the beautiful gift of marriage that God has given you. Yeah, that's really good. I like all of that. So what is the challenge that we can take into our marriage this week? This week, do what you need to do to put in the work for your marriage. Schedule a date night. Maybe you even need to call a Christian counselor or your pastor to sit down with you. Surprise your spouse by speaking their love language as we talked about 
earlier. Um, and go ahead and get that date night penciled in on your calendar. Call a sitter, do whatever you need to do to to make that quality time to spend with your spouse. And don't wait until it's too late. Start today. With this being such a sensitive topic, I just feel like it's necessary that we just close this episode out in a word of prayer. Tabitha? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just want to come to you today. We thank you for this time with all of the ladies that are listening out there. And God, we know that marriage was ordained by you from the beginning. And so God, we want to honor you in our marriages. And we just want to pray for those particular marriages that are struggling right now that you would help bring reconciliation and hope and forgiveness. And God, that um, we wouldn't take marriage lightly, but we would recognize the important gift that it is from you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope that we have given you something you can take into your week and into your marriage and that will help encourage you. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Next week, we're going to be continuing the family series, hopefully going into being a mom and discussing how to disciple young kids and just kids in general. So make sure you're following along wherever you listen to your podcast so you're notified as soon as the episode is released. Thank you for your love and support. And as always, remember, a sincere desire to become purposeful women of God starts with changing focus from me to thee. God bless from our hearts to yours. See ya. Bye.